Welcome to Canucks Corner Playoff Edition. Final Playoff Edition. I'm Aaron Lane, and it is June 17th. This is the final time where I get to tell you what's happened in the 2016-2017 season, because it's over. I also get to let you in on a little bit more Canucks news, but mostly I get to tell you what I thought would happen in the finals, what did happen in the finals, and where we go from here. The pregame show. This is the part of the podcast where I tell you what I thought might happen this final round of the NHL playoffs, and also give you some Canucks news to let you know where everything stands there. Well, let's start with the Canucks news. A couple of coaching hirings to begin with. Newell Brown, who was formerly a Canucks draft pick and assistant coach, comes back to us. One of his uh, things that he was an expert on or focused on when he was here last was the power play. And our power play was pretty good back then. Granted, we had some different player sets there, so that has a huge impact. But at least it's showing that they're interested in trying to develop a new power play that's going to be hopefully different from the Sedin-based power play. And that should be good. Looking forward to that. And also our friend Nolan Baumgartner is back as an assistant. Not back as an assistant, but back, and now he's an assistant. So, yeah, he was some defensive depth for us, and now he's an assistant coach. We also have Eric Brunson getting signed to a one-year extension for $3.5 million, which was totally expected, being that he was injured most of the year and didn't have a lot of opportunity to show what he could do as a Vancouver Canuck. So, good job. We have another player signed up for next year that will potentially help the even younger players get a foothold in what they want to do as a Canuck. And finally, it comes down to who is available from the Canucks for the Las Vegas Knights. And it looks like it may be Brendan Gauntz being the most likely candidate. Even though Sutter could still be unprotected, we'll see what happens. Most likely Brendan Gauntz is probably the guy to go, which would be unfortunate because I like Brendan and I think he has some real upside. But there you go. Now, what did I think would happen in the Stanley Cup Finals? Well, that was pretty simple. I thought the Penguins were pretty much gassed. It looked like the Penguins had nothing left in their tank, and unless they nailed the final in four games, or maybe five games, they probably wouldn't have enough to finish it off. And I thought Nashville, if it went six or seven games, would definitely have enough to finish it off. So Nashville in six or seven, or Pittsburgh in four and five, that's what I was thinking. Let's see what happened. Game time. This is the part of the podcast where I get to talk about what happened during the Stanley Cup Finals and what we got. Well, we've got the Pittsburgh Penguins against the Nashville Predators. Now, of course, in this one I said Pittsburgh had to win early, otherwise they'd be out of gas, nothing left in the tank, and Nashville would win if they pushed it to six or seven. Well... In Game 1, we see an interesting aspect of this. The Penguins seem to be a bit of out of gas early, as 
they just can't they, they have a pretty good first period but then actually get no shots on net in the second period and only four in a third for a total of 12 shots on net so despite being in front of their home crowd this ends up being one of those games where you had to wonder what Pittsburgh had had in the tank now as it happened they were tied 3-3 in the third period with just a few minutes left so even even though they'd only had like 10 shots on net they'd scored three goals so that was pretty awesome and Rene didn't look so good and it was just yeah if they just could put in one more goal to win this game then they would maybe have enough momentum enough energy to take the next game and start their sweep but um unfortunately that didn't happen in nashville no wait oh jake gensel who hadn't scored in like eight games and might have got benched for this game realistically wouldn't have got benched but he had this incredible scoring pace at the beginning got like 12 11 or 12 goals in the first few series one of the top goal scoring performances of any rookie in any playoff and then he went quiet for the entire last series basically but with 317 left he scores to make it four to three and then the uh, penguins score the last goal to make it five three and that's the end of the game now everybody was talking about pittsburgh's 12 shots and how they scored five goals and 12 shots but keep in mind in this game nashville only had 26 shots and only six of them in the third period so they weren't getting a lot of chances either I mean, 30, 38 shots between both teams for one game, that's incredibly low. So, yeah, Nashville got twice as many shots as Pittsburgh, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a massive performance by Nashville here that Pittsburgh just sort of eked out. Both teams weren't quite ready to play the full 60 minutes, I don't think. And in the end, Pittsburgh found a way to win which championship teams will. That was game one. Game number two back in Pittsburgh, again, is a, is a game where kind of both teams aren't able to really take over or push super hard for the first couple of periods. Aberg gets the first goal for Nashville, that, and, and a first goal in the playoffs is always a thing that people want because you often win those games. Jake Gunsel ties it up 1-1. And just note, yeah, so this last game was his 10th goal, and this would make it his 11th. And that's notable because, of course, as a 1-1 tie going into the third period with neither team looking like they're going to just run this one to the end, Jake scores his 12th goal. So three goals in two games for Jake to start the Stanley Cup Finals. He's looking like the odds-on favorite for the MVP at this point. But still 2-1, to one, Nashville still has a chance until 3.13 in the third period, just a couple, and that was 10 seconds into the third period, Jake scored. And 3.13, so just three minutes later, it's all over for Nashville, as Scott Wilson scores to make it 3-1, to one, and 15 seconds later, Malkin scores to make it 4-1. to one. And Nashville just isn't going to come back from that. And they didn't. It finished up 4-1, to one, and there it is. My prediction is right on schedule with Pittsburgh taking the first two games, Nashville looking a bit discombobulated where they don't know what it's going to take to beat the Penguins, and Rene looking really soft here at this point. 
Not a lot of shots have hit him, and quite a few have gone in. So, yeah, this looks like Pittsburgh's series right, right from this point. Let's see what happens in Game 3. Well, in Game 3, Jake Gensel scores another goal. Four goals in three games, and it's clear that he is going to take the Stanley Cup MVP at this point because the Penguins are going to sweep. It's one nothing after the first period. Even though the Nashville fans are crazy and things are, you know, super excited there, it's clear that the Nashville Predators aren't ready to play and they aren't ready to figure out what it takes to beat the Penguins. And pretty much at the end of the first period in Game 3, it's all over. Cue the comeback. <laughs> yeah, this is this is like your classic sports story, right? The the big the big comeback story against the favored Stanley Cup champions, these Cinderella first time in the Stanley Cup finals, Nashville Predators coming back from two games to nothing and one goal to nothing in the third game, looking like they're all washed up. Roman Yossi ties it up in the second period. Gaudreau makes it two to one and just before the end of the second, James Neal scores to make it three to one and now things look pretty bad for Pittsburgh. This is the amazing thing about sports. You can say whatever you want at any given moment in the sporting event and then next thing you know, everything has changed for whatever reason. And you can't, you just can't, you can't predict this. No matter how you look at the numbers, no matter how you look at what things have happened before, there's no predictive ability in sports, really. There's general predictability to some extent, but once you get into things like, oh, well, this goaltender has never allowed a goal in the third period while being up by his team winning and all this stuff, you could say that all you want. But that's not going to stop a goal from being scored against him in the third period this next time, right? And we think it is, though. We, we kind of have this idea in the back of our mind, like, oh, well, then the odds of him getting scored against now are, like, infinitesimal. It's, it's inconceivable that he could be scored against. So this is what's amazing about sports is that it kind of lends us to, to have those thoughts. And then when they do score, we just sit there and go, Oh, I didn't see that coming. That's that's inconceivable. I just I can't believe that this has happened. And in that we are enthralled in the game. We're brought right in and we're just stymied and stunned by sports uh, sports's ability to to excite us and surprise us. And so it happens in this game and Craig Smith and Eckholm score in the third period to wrap it up 5 to 1 against the Penguins. And suddenly, it's two games to one. They've got the crowd involved. They've got energy. And you're starting to see that shift. That shift I was talking about. From the second period on, From the Penguins had nothing. And suddenly, here it is. They got the two games. But Nashville's going to take over now. And it's going to be over. And the Penguins are going to lose. Well, let's see what happens in game four. Well, Pekka Rene, by the way kind of stood on his head in game three yeah Pittsburgh didn't get a lot of huge chances but whatever chances they did get he shut them down well except for the one goal of course and game four same business Pekka Rene has come to play and he's standing in front of his home crowd and he is 
doing the job, getting it done. Now, in this first period, Jean Croc goes ahead and scores the opening goal about 15 minutes in. One minute later, Sidney Crosby shows up in Nashville and gets his goal from Dumoulin to tie it up 1-1. And again in the first period, it was like you could never tell what type of game it was from the first period. And in this game, again, things... Pittsburgh responded fairly well, and things looked pretty even for the first period. Nashville still had a bit of a jump. Again, their fans were helping them out, and their energy was helping them out. But Pittsburgh's a... They're a veteran team with a lot of knowledge about how to win, so they were keeping things tight. But then the second period, it's clear Nashville's energy takes over, and they get to the puck a little bit more often, and they're getting the shots on net, and Pittsburgh is on their heels a bit. Goudreau scores to make it 2-1 to one, about four minutes in. Arvidsson goes ahead and makes it 3-1 to one, 13 minutes in. And again, at the end of the second period, it's two to or it's three to one, and they're ahead by a couple of goals. And it's clear that Pittsburgh it, are going to be hard pressed to tie this up. They're not getting quality chances enough quality chances against Rene. Rene's playing really well. He's making some brilliant saves, and it's you get the, these moments where you're looking at it going, man, this is just Nashville's game, and I can't see how Pittsburgh can win. And sure enough, in the third period. Forsberg scores about 16 minutes in, and that's that's it. That wraps things up. And so, yeah, absolutely. This was a mini Game 3. It was just another sort of continuation of Game 3, where Pittsburgh has its moments, but really, over the 60 minutes, Nashville's energy makes the difference. And Don Cherry, I can't remember whether it was in Game 3 or Game 4, said exactly what I said. He said, Pittsburgh's got nothing in the tank. And so everyone could see it, that Pittsburgh just didn't have enough to go on. And at this point, it's 2-2, but things are looking bad for Pittsburgh. It just looks like they, they don't have enough. Right here, my prediction was that if it goes 6 or 7, then it's Nashville's. And here it is, Game 4, they're going to 6 because they're tied 2-2. So this is Nashville's series as far as I was concerned at this point. And a lot of people would have agreed with me. So let's see what happens in game five. You ever have those moments where (laughs) in sports you've looked at the situation, you've sussed it out, and you're pretty darn sure it's one way? Wait, I think I was just talking about this not too long ago. Yeah, so this is another moment. This is another moment in these playoffs. All these playoffs uh, have been like this where things have been going one way, and then they suddenly take this left turn that nobody expects. And sometimes it's the middle of the game, it's after the first period, and all of a sudden the second period, three goals get scored by the other team and everything goes crazy. Or there's been games like this. It's 2-2, Nashville clearly has the advantage, it goes back to Pittsburgh, and Pekka Rene becomes an absolute sieve. He goes from being a brick wall to a sieve from taking plane from Nashville to Pittsburgh. It is bizarre, and yet there it is. And realistically, obviously, the team all lost its energy from being in front of their crowd now entering Pittsburgh, and we're talking like a severe home ice advantage situation has resulted in this series, that in front of Pittsburgh's crowd, the Penguins stand on their head, and Rene falls apart. In front of Nashville's crowd, Rene becomes an absolute superstar and his team leads the glorious way. 
So we're back in Pittsburgh, and even though things had been going super well in Nashville, first period, a minute 31 in, Justin Schultz scores on the power play. 6.43 in, Brian Russ scores to make it 2-0, and as Nashville's trying to come back to get a toehold, with 11 seconds left in the period, Malkin scores to make it 3-0. Well, it's just 3-0. You you can come back. It'll be okay. Second period, minute 19 in, Sheary from Crosby and Gunsel, 4-0 Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's over. But just for good measure, Phil Kessel and Ron Hainsey scores to make it 6-0. Not much can be said, except for previously in these playoffs, there's been wins of 7-0, 7-1 by Pittsburgh and Edmonton, I think. And the very next game, the team has come back to win a tight game. The other team has come back to win a tight game. So right now, we're worried, us Penguin fans, as it were, are worried that the Penguins have thrown all their energy into this one game and Nashville's just going to come back and win the next two because after a 6 nothing win, there's not going to be left much in the tank. And that's going to be the end of things. And Nashville will still win this thing. But as we go into game six, if you've listened to my last podcast, you know exactly how this went. And again, just going with the theme. There's things you expect in sports, and then things happen. And then all of a sudden, what you expected is gone. And here, the Penguins in Game 6, who should have been out of gas, who should have been beaten mentally and physically in the Predators arena, with, like I said, 20,000 inside, 100,000 outside, the entire city going crazy. Pekka Rene had completely shut down Pittsburgh and other teams in the playoffs in Nashville. I didn't see how Pittsburgh was going to win this. And when it's 0-0 in the third period with just minutes remaining, I can't think of anything but, well, Pittsburgh still has a chance they can get a fluke goal. That was sort of the only thing in my mind, but realistically, I knew that it wasn't going to go that way. That the Predators were most likely going to use their energy to make a push or go going to the overtime and they were the ones going to outlast the Penguins because the Penguins didn't have anything left. And then Patrick Hornquist behind Pekka Rene, behind the goal line with the puck bouncing all over the place does what champions do. They put the puck on the net from wherever they are because that's what it comes down to in hockey. Teams and fans sometimes forget you can only score by putting the puck towards the net. You can pass and pass and pass and cycle and cycle and cycle, and you can look brilliant and amazing. But until you put that puck towards the net, you're not getting a goal, and you need goals to win games. So these championship teams, time and time again, show us that they find a way to get the puck to the net. And oftentimes with deflections, oftentimes with rebounds, oftentimes with just players around the net, somehow bumping the puck into the net in some way or another. It's not pretty hockey, but it's winning hockey. And championship teams know this. And Patrick Hornquist knew this. And he just knocked that puck out of the midair, hoping to get it towards Rene so that something could happen. And something did. And the puck went off Rene and went into his own net. And it's one nothing, and everybody's shocked. The entire place is just gone from this tense sort of, we're going to do it, we just need a chance, to, oh my goodness, it's all over. We were so close. 
And Carl Hagelin, of course, takes advantage of that and with the goaltender pulled, gets an empty net goal. I do want to mention that Hornquist's goal was reviewed by the Predators for goaltender interference. And yes, he did touch Pecorine as he was going around behind the net, but he stayed outside of the crease the whole time and he wasn't clearly wasn't trying to touch Rene. He was just trying to go around him to get to the puck. But I had that moment that all Canucks fans do when when you're cheering for, for the Canucks that there's a Murphy's Law aspect to teams who are not championship teams where you think, okay, something's going to happen to screw this up. That somehow, some way, the, the referee is going to make a bad call. He's just not going to see it. Or, you know, like that shot that went through um, Matt Murray and was poked into the net by the, uh, who was it, Sissons maybe? And it was called no goal because the whistle had already gone. The ref had blown his whistle right away. Like, that's exactly the type of thing that non-championship teams have to deal with all the time. But guess what championship teams get? They get the opposite. They get the call, right? And sometimes that's what makes them championship teams, aside from everything else that they do. In that these teams, they make their own luck in a way. That they put themselves into a position where they can get the call. And they can have the good thing go for them. And we just, us teams, the Canucks and all these non-championship teams like the Predators, we just continually put ourselves in positions where if something screws up, we're done. And then something does screw up. And I know that kind of looks like two sides of the same coin, and it may well be. But it is that coin that gets flipped to decide who gets to be champion. And yeah, and I guess that's that's the way I, I see things happening a lot over the course of the years. Anyway, so Pittsburgh Penguins are the Stanley Cup champions. I was right again. All the way through the playoffs, I've yet to be wrong. I should put money on this or something, because it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so they didn't win in four or five like I said they would. Nashville didn't win in six or seven like I said they would. But as you could tell in that last podcast, my son is happy. And he was just so happy when Pittsburgh won that I just... I can't begrudge the fact that I got this wrong. I mean, it's there was no money on the line or anything, so... I don't feel too bad about this. And I certainly don't feel too bad because, again, being connected with my son, I've laid a certain claim with the Pittsburgh Penguins and have no such claim with the Nashville Predators. So so I guess, honestly, I was I was, I was was happy enough that, that Pittsburgh won. So there you go. The post-game show. This is the part of the program where I get to talk about what's next. And yeah, what's next? The Stanley Cup has been raised... And presumably it's been drunk out of. It's it's over, folks. Except for some very important things. So next on our list, the Las Vegas Knights get to cannibalize the NHL and take their players or their draft picks. And I didn't think this would be such a big deal because in the last few expansion drafts, some teams have lost some players that were relatively useful, third liners or fourth liners or whatever, seventh or eighth, you know, sixth defenseman maybe, but by and large, they never lost too much, and it wasn't that big of a deal. This year, however, the Knights are kind of getting the pick of the litter. They're getting an opportunity to get some really good players, like Jacob Silverberg 
on the docks as one of the guys that seemed to that's likely to be available to them and so they're they got a chance of getting some good second line players and definitely a good chunk of third line players and maybe some younger players that are going to develop in the next few years but most important because players like silverberg are available there's now an open market to make trades with vegas pre-draft so that the ducks can avoid losing him and other teams can avoid losing their guys and as a result it looks like vegas might end up with three or four first round draft picks this year can you believe that that's insane that'll that might put them on track to be a stanley cup contender before the vancouver canucks are that is an amazing amount of talent in a short period of time and especially considering that next year they might have a similar situation where they don't have a team that's going to make the playoffs so they're going to have another chance at getting some good players out of the draft so geez things are looking pretty good for them as i think i've mentioned brendan gaunts may be going for the canucks i mean again i'd rather hold on to him but he's going to be a good player for the knights if that's who they take or some player from the canucks is going to likely be a decent player for them but some of the other teams have some really interesting names going towards the knights maybe or if not then draft picks so yikes that's something to pay attention to and then the actual amateur draft is is going to happen and then free agency is going to happen and then free agency is not going to matter as much for the canucks but of course the draft is going to be huge so do the canucks try to trade to get one of the top two picks this year do they move somebody like Ben Hutton to do so? I heard that. I almost wanted to like punch somebody. It's like <laughs> Ben Hutton's not the type of guy you trade at this point. You trade Tanev far before you trade Hutton, right? It's Hutton is a young key part of this core that by the time he matures, by the time he's what twenty eight or something, then he might be part of a Stanley Cup run for the Canucks. So this is the type of guy that you want to hold on to. So anyway, I'm not in favor of that sort of trade. And I'm certainly not in favor of trading a guy like that who is somebody who looks like he's going to be a real key part of a team for either an injury-prone guy or another guy who is probably going to be a good NHLer, maybe a really good NHLer. You're almost trading apples for apples there or apples for potential apples. And why? (laughs) I just, I don't see why. But anyway, we're going to have those three things coming up and I will make podcasts for each of them. I will hopefully have a podcast coming up for very soon for the Knights and we will take it from there, I guess. So until then, this is Aaron Lane for the Canucks Corner Podcast. If you'd like to find me, I'm at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter. That's at Canucks underscore corner on Twitter or email me at Canucks Corner Pod at gmail.com. That's Canucks Corner Pod, all one word, at gmail.com. And until we pod again, thanks for listening and keep your stick on the ice.